I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. Today, a story of homelessness and drug addiction, and how San Francisco so often fails those trying to escape from both. Last summer, Chronicle reporter Trisha Thadani was working on a story about how difficult it is for people to get sustained drug abuse treatment in the city. She spent a morning with homeless outreach workers in the South of Market area as they handed out supplies to people on the streets. Just as Trisha was about to wrap up her reporting that day, she met Will Andrews. He was 23 and struggling profoundly with homelessness and addiction to powerful opioids. Over the next four months, Trisha kept in touch with Will, and she saw, through him and his family, just how daunting these obstacles are in San Francisco. Here's Trisha Thadani. Like my profile picture is me sitting on the beach. Like with my Here's how I met Will Andrews. I was shadowing a homeless outreach team one morning last August when I heard someone run up behind us. There he was, desperately asking, where can I get help around here? He had a dirty gray blanket wrapped around his shoulders, and his coarse blonde hair was pulled up into a bun. There was an abscess on his forehead, and he said he was aching and sweating from withdrawal. He said he was looking for a drug treatment so he could finally kick his heroin addiction. I asked if I could follow his journey, and he agreed to give me a window into his life. He was the kind of person that, as a reporter, you loved to meet, because he was excited about sharing his story, and he thought that others could benefit from his experience. So we made a plan. Chronicle photographer Guy Wathen and I would shadow him as he tried getting into drug treatment. Will was 23 when we met, and he was still 23 four months later when he died. Yes, he struggled with addiction, but he also struggled with San Francisco's system of care, which was already broken before the pandemic. It's too easy for someone like Will to fall through the gaps. His story is of a young life ravaged by drugs. It's also the story of a failed system. After I met Will, I got to know his family in South Carolina. As parents, you know, he was our first child, so we can't help but have fond memories of... That's Will's mom, Angie. I talked to her and his dad, Arnold, about what his childhood was like. He grew up on the East Coast in the suburbs of Charleston, South Carolina. He always wanted to be outside. Always. He would say, hey, mom, want to go to the beach and watch me surf? I would sit out there and watch him, and he would ride away. Then he'd always look back at me like, what do you think? How was that? Will was about 14 when he started smoking weed. But he gradually moved to harder drugs, and they seemed to change the sweet kid that his parents knew. He had been kind and charming, and he loved doting on his three younger sisters. He used to spend summers taking care of horses for a few dollars a day, and he'd save up that money to buy them gifts, like a new bike and a bunny for Annabelle, the youngest. He left home when he was 17 and traveled around the East Coast. He even had a couple of stints in rehab. His parents got to see flickers of the old will, but the drugs would always take over. So there was a lot of good, but there there's also about nine years of, of deep pain for us watching him slowly deteriorate. That first day I met Will, I told him that if we were going to work together to tell his story, I just needed one thing from him. Consistency. 
Like, if you say you're going to show up somewhere, you need to be there. Because I knew he never had a phone, and whenever he'd get one, he would lose it. Could I give you the best way to get in touch with me? Um, right now, I don't have a phone number. Okay. Um, How can I find you? So we made a plan to meet at 8 o'clock the next morning outside a drug treatment program that he was going to try getting into. He never showed up, a pattern that continued over the next few weeks. We would find him, and then we would lose him again for a few days. Then we would eventually hear from him again, and he would say he was still trying to get help. But he would also have a list of challenges that he had faced. He couldn't make it to the drug treatment program in time. He'd been turned away because there were no beds. He'd lost his phone. He'd lost his ID. He'd relapsed. At this point, it was easier for him to get drugs than rehab. A very common problem on San Francisco streets. Drugs have never been so cheap and so readily available, and at the same time, like, um, yeah, it's just crazy. It was my first taste of what it must be like for social workers who are trying to help others in similar situations. When someone struggling with addiction is willing to get help, it's important they actually get the help right then, in that moment. That's where San Francisco fails its most vulnerable. Often, those who show up to the hospital are just discharged back out to the street. That's because there often isn't anywhere to send them, or intake times at treatment programs are only during normal business hours. That means if someone like Will shows up to the hospital at 2 a.m., they wouldn't be able to even try getting into a rehab program until 8 a.m. And it's easy to lose motivation when you're back out on the streets, surrounded by drugs, struggling from withdrawal, and have nowhere to go for hours. And that's why Will's story is also the story of a broken system. At the same time Will was trying to get help, City Hall was teeming with conversations and plans on how to make the system easier and better for people like him. There were hearings, negotiations, legislation. It was topic A. Here's Supervisor Hillary Ronan on the steps of City Hall last year. She's announcing Mental Health SF. It's a massive overhaul of the system. We're no longer going to waste money, time, and the goodwill of patients and the rest of us, quite frankly, by watching people cycle from the street to psych emergency services to residential treatment and then right back out on the street where it is almost impossible to get better. But now, nearly a year later, the coronavirus has hammered San Francisco and punched a $1.5 billion hole in our city's budget and made every problem harder to solve. Life for those on the streets has only gotten worse. For months, shelters weren't accepting new residents. Drug treatment and mental health facilities had to cut some beds so that people could social distance. Case managers say relapses are increasing and overdoses are through the roof and massive budget cuts are looming. I'm telling you this story now because it raises an important question. If someone like Will faced such a broken system a year ago when San Francisco was flush with cash and City Hall was focused on reforming the system, what chance do people like him have now? After a break, you'll hear from Will. He would disappear for long periods, but I was able to see him a few times but usually in a hospital. We'll be right back. I would hear from Will periodically, 
but by October, I hadn't seen or heard from him in a couple of months. I'm looking for a patient here, William Andrews. One day, his sister Annabelle called me and said he was in the hospital with an abscess on his arm. So I went to go visit him. Well, it's Trisha. Hi. How's it going? Since I saw you last, I went from doing just... That abscess on Will's arm? It's a common malady for people on the streets. After a day or so in the hospital, though, the pain in his arm became secondary to the pain of his withdrawal from fentanyl, which he had switched to after heroin stopped being strong enough for him. Fentanyl is a really dangerous drug. It can be 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. Without it, Will was in so much pain that the only thing he believed would make him feel better was more fentanyl. So while he was in the hospital, he kept threatening to leave and go back to the Tenderloin to find it. Will was fighting an internal war that those struggling with addiction often face. One part of him really wanted to get clean, but the other side just couldn't shake his addiction. Where were you thinking of going? Just right back to the fucking street. Yeah. Just so I could get something that I needed to make me feel normal. Are you glad you didn't go? Yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why yes and why no? Because I want to feel normal. Yeah. It's why I wish I would have gone. And me waking up feeling like this is another reason I wish I would have gone. But I'm glad. I know my family wants me to stay. Like. On his third day in the hospital, a social worker came and told Will they found him a bed. He just needed to wait until the morning. But throughout that night, he continued going through withdrawals. Yeah. So I'm just trying to like, make it through it, but it's not easy. Yeah. Part of my job as a reporter is not to get emotionally involved with the people I'm covering. I always want to tell a fair, honest story, but I still care. And it's hard not to root for someone that you've gotten to know. And I was rooting for Will, but not for my story. I wanted him to get better so that he could have a better life. And you know, after all of this, after two months of this guy not being able to get the help he needed, here was this moment where he finally got into a treatment program, and it really seemed like he was about to start a new life. Okay. All right. Um, just call if you need something, okay? The next morning, Will left the hospital, but he never made it to the treatment facility that day. His sister says they didn't have the withdrawal medication that he needed, so he left and we don't know what happened next. After that, I stopped hearing from Will altogether. But a few weeks later, he called his family and said he was back on the streets and still using fentanyl. They tried convincing him to come home to South Carolina so they could get him into rehab, but he wouldn't accept the help. He said he could figure it out on his own and it would be okay. The next time I saw him was in December. Will's parents got a call that he was in the hospital in critical condition. The details are murky, but he had either been in a fight or had been attacked on the street. His parents flew to San Francisco, and I met them in the ICU. Over the years, their relationship with Will had grown complicated, but he was still their son. And this was a devastating moment for them. And honestly, it was for me too. I mean, the last time I'd seen Will was supposed to be the last time before he got help. And to see him now, hooked up to a ventilator, it was just a horrible scene. 
After the second day, the doctors told Angie and Arnold that Will wouldn't be able to breathe on his own again. So they had to say goodbye to their son. And it was one of the most painful things I've ever seen. I felt like I was watching a friend die. Will's story is emblematic of what can happen in a system of care that is so fractured and broken. How policy and budget decisions can actually impact a person's life. He tried and tried and tried to get help from a system that's helped a lot of people, but it struggles to help everyone, and it often fails. In the end, it couldn't help Will. Even like in the midst of my addiction, like I feel like when I'm on a surfboard and like out on the water, it's just like thought of like getting high almost like never even comes to my mind. Yeah, which is really cool. That's awesome. I'm Trisha Thadani for Fifth and Mission. Eventually, one day down the line, we'd like to make it out to Hawaii mm. and um, be a part of that program. And just, like... You can read Trisha Thadani's story about Will Andrews at sfchronicle.com. The photography is by Guy Wathan, and the story was edited by Emily Fancher. This episode of Fifth and Mission was written by Trisha Thadani and Karen Creighton, and produced by Karen Creighton. Thanks for listening.